0: Hey everyone, and thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Gary Lewis, co-founder and CEO of Resourceify, a digital waste management platform that's raised over 15 million euros in funding. Gary, thanks for chatting with me today.
1: <laughs> it's great to be here, Brad, thanks a lot.
0: Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Absolutely, yeah,
1: so uh, hi everyone, uh, I'm Gary. I'm founder and CEO of Resourceify. Uh, a bit about me, so I love technology, I love sustainability, I'm um, actually really passionate about this. And a big passion of mine is circular economy. So how do we avoid climate change, right? That's a huge topic, Brad. <laughs> and uh, yeah, circularity in a big part, like recycling uh, as a topic, it, it's going to play a really, really big role here. So up to 50% of our, of our targets, you know, net CO2 targets uh, by 2050, they're going to come from this area. So yeah, a bit about me, that's, that's just something which I wanted to do something about. And yeah, that led to the creation of, of Resourceify. I come from New Zealand, living in Germany, and I have one small son. He's two and a half, and he's crazy.
0: Now that, that makes a lot more sense with your accent. I was trying to figure out, where's this guy from? How come his name is this way in Germany? That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I'm not German, but I love
1: Germany. It's a great place.
0: And do you think, you know, as a, as a society that we're going to be on track for the net zero 50 goal? Is that realistic? Or what are your thoughts there?
1: I have to say, it, it doesn't look good right now. But we shouldn't underestimate, you know, the capacity of of humans to bounce back. Um, We're actually releasing some data for the COP27 coming up on Sunday, and uh, it's going to show kind of how much we're off track. To give you a sneak peek, I think we're sort of 40% of the initiatives that we need to do to to hit net zero. We're on track with 60%. uh, We're off track. And, you know, 50% of that 60% to 30%, that's, that's really off the rails. So we need to get that back on track ASAP.
0: Wow. Nice, pleasant thought to start the conversation. The yeah. <laughs> world is doomed. Should we even continue? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> All right, we can keep going then. Now, two questions just to better understand you: know, what makes you tick as a founder. Is there a CEO founder that you are studying the most now? And if so, you know what are you studying about them and, and what do you look up to them for?
1: There is. You know, I'm a big fan of real entrepreneurs. It's real in the sense of they're doing it right now. So, uh, there's actually one entrepreneur which I'm a huge fan of. He's a friend of mine, David Nordhacker. Uh, he's running a company called Sender, based out of Berlin. They're a unicorn in the transport space, and you know I think these guys who are on the ground right now, especially David, for example, like they're super inspiring because they're super relatable, right? So we're not talking about these huge CEOs from right Jeff and all the rest of it. It's really like who are the guys who are hustling right now right and what can you learn from them so david is one of those guys he's built an incredible business and they have over 800 employees and it's super tactful advice which he can give and he gives back now to other entrepreneurs as well and for investments and stuff so i think guys like this uh, they really resonate uh, with me
0: Nice. Yeah, I feel the same. There's so much to learn from them that you can actually apply and use today. But it's hard to go out and, you know, study something about Elon Musk and be like, okay, wow, like, that's, you know, super useful. I can put this into action tomorrow. It just doesn't <laughs> really work that way.
1: Yeah, that's why I think, you know, these guys are special. Uh, if, you, if No one can relate to this the Elon anymore, right? I mean, it's just... Uh, Yeah. I'm I'm looking to to, to the guys on the ground, especially in Europe. Europe has a lot of great entrepreneurs. I think they're not so much on the radar of you you stateside guys, but I think in the next decades, you know, we're gonna see a lot, a lot of cool tech coming out of Europe and it's gonna be from these guys who are kind of hustling right now.
0: And they say that you know like I don't know the exact number, right? But from what I've read, the European tech ecosystem is about five or ten years behind like Silicon Valley's ecosystem. So how would you describe like the state of venture capital and the tech ecosystem right now in Europe, just from your perspective?
1: Yeah, the money is definitely in the States, right? So you can write 10x bigger tickets over there, and no one cares. But, you know, I think Europe, it has enough. You don't need those 10x tickets, especially in an early stage. You know, there is enough capital in Europe. You can go out and do 100 million rounds. You could have a fully European VCs on board. So I think when it starts getting to series B, you know, Series those big rounds onwards, and you have, let's say, global ambition, of course, you want to bring on board stateside investors. But, you know, getting off the ground and especially for climate tech, that's our area. Climate tech investment in Europe is the hot shit. And there is a lot of money here for that, especially from the Nordics. So I think the the VC space in Europe is it's maturing and it's a really exciting time. Good. OK, this last few months. So that I mean, let's see what happens. But in general, it's a really exciting time, especially for climate tech VCs in
0: Europe. Yeah, that's what a lot of founders in Europe are telling me is, you know, right now, it's, you know, it's a good thing that it's a little bit behind Silicon Valley, because that means there's a lot of opportunity as it continues to mature, but there's no doubt that it's maturing. So that must be exciting to be part of that ecosystem. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And you, you know, you see it growing, and you see these guys, and we've got a couple of investors on board, you know, and if you get a good investor, they make all the difference, really. So and these these are there in Europe, these guys are in Europe. So it's
0: cool. Nice. Love it. And one other question, just to better understand you, what book has had the greatest impact on you as a founder? And this can be a business book or it could just be a, a personal book as well. Definitely principles by Ray Dalio. There is a wealth
1: of knowledge in this book. You can, I've read this book, I think three times and I'm still learning each time I read it. It's there's a guy who's a billionaire and he's, whatever, was he whatever it was, he's 75. I don't know. And he's poured his whole life into this book. Like he's described everything that makes it tick. And when you read between the lines and you digest this and you realize the culture which he's created at Bridgewater, which is then described in this book, Principles, and it, it, it's, you can duplicate this anywhere. Like he's really put everything in this book. I think it's a very impressive book. It's had a huge impact on me about my own personal principles, but also at resourceify now we have, you know, Resourcify principles and then Bridging the Gap also how this should be used in daily life, how, I think this is the key to scaling, to be honest. It's really, it, it's all in this book. It's, I like it. Have, have you read it?
0: Yeah, I have. I've uh, i have read it twice. So I did the Audible and then I felt I really didn't capture anything because it's uh, yeah. it's very dense. So then I did read it. I got a lot more. But the third time I did something different, which took it to the next level, there's a children's book. <laughs> Have you read the children's book? Oh, it's the illustrated version, right? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I got that. I'm like, okay, now I like this book. It's so simple, okay. so straightforward. So that was my go-to. But no, it's a it's a great book. It's just very uh very dense and very thick, and it's um you know it's not fluffy advice, as you said. He like really poured his heart and soul into that book and you can feel it with every page which i don't know if i've ever like seen that in a book before you know felt that in a book before
1: it is incredible yeah but it's not a book you read before going to bed though that's just to put that disclaimer out there right
0: (laughs) yeah you'd be (laughs) like
1: maybe the illustrated version you do
0: (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) <laughs> nice, man, nice. Well, all right, now let's talk about Resourcefy and dive a bit deeper. So, could you talk us through the origin story and just give us the high-level pitch, you know, what are you offering to customers that work with you?
1: Yeah. I mean, Resourcefy is a cool company. We're building the digital champion for waste management, which is way more exciting than it sounds, right? So, let's take net zero 2050 again. How do we get there, right? And we need the clean energy transition and we need circularity, both are kind of 50-50. That's how we hit our targets. And there is no market leader for circularity. And circularity, to be honest, is just a very nice way of saying waste management, because it's end of life. It's where do things go, who gets them, what's happening with them, and how are we doing that better? So and that's what we're doing, Resourceify. We're building this digital champion for waste management. We want to digitize this really kind of complicated, outdated industry, fragmented. It's B2B, so we're talking companies here companies produce over 80% of all waste, So it's about looking at what companies have, where is it going and working together with big companies with thousands of locations, hundreds of waste streams, cross countries, regulations, laws, and helping them to just take control over what they've got. And yeah, our vision is to create a reverse Amazon. So being the partner that helps companies become more sustainable through the digitization of waste management and then Closing the loop, both on their internal stuff, like internal waste, but also on their products. So when they're selling stuff, getting that out there to the market, how are you getting that back end of life and, and a holistic solution for that whole thing. And yeah, we're working together with companies like McDonald's, Johnson & Johnson, Fraport. So big companies, yeah, with a lot of waste, millions of tons of waste is a huge, a huge thing. And yeah, helping them basically stop burning, stop landfilling, recycling more, taking more control, selling waste. And yeah,
0: doing that all in an easy way. So how would, you know, like McDonald's, for example, how would they articulate the problem that you're solving for them? Good question. I mean, to be quite frank,
1: recycling is way too hard. So it's it's too hard. It's too difficult to recycle, especially if you're a big company. If you have if you have 2000 locations, right at every location, you want to be separating In a circular economy, you want to be separating 20, 50, if not 100 different types of waste streams. This is a completely different game than you play at home. So you can collect everything from uh, McDonald's, for example, right? From, you know, old fats from the fryers through to the electrical equipment or the cups, which, uh, you know, can you create a circular economy for packaging? The stuff that they give out, can you get it back? Uh, Right? And everything, A to Z, of what they have, once it comes to end of life, what happens with it? And we have a platform for them to just control that entire process. And take really control over that process, cut out all of the crazy middlemen that are stopping this, creating the problem today and helping them to really understand what they should be doing tomorrow to make sure that their, their circular strategy or sustainable strategy is really coming to life. Does that make Got sense? It.
0: Yeah, that does make sense. And a follow-up question from that. So you know, obviously, I hear the term digital transformation a lot. Normally, it's you know, talking about like manufacturing and things like that. So how would you describe the state of just recycling in general today? You know, How far along in the journey is digital transformation in recycling? Is it very, very early days? Is it maturing? How would you define that? Ugh. I mean, worldwide, right? Worldwide.
1: We have a 9% worldwide recycling rate. Recycling in a definition, which I would say is recycling, which is you're using the thing again, end of life you're not burning it you're not lamping it you're using it again nine percent worldwide circular gap report you can check it out comes out every year it's nine percent so the problem is how do you get it to a hundred percent asap yeah so that's the challenge and where do we stand Mm -hmm. we're right at the beginning no company knows what they've got no company's using any solutions they depend on 20 year old 30 year old contracts with i don't know who and they don't have this on the radar because it's too hard the clean energy transition is easy in comparison, right? You switch your contract provider, boom, you have clean energy. It's not that easy for circularity. It's not that easy for recycling. If you're coordinating over 2000 locations, you know, it's like thousands of different containers and waste streams and then contamination rates and pricing and laws. It's just, it's just hard. So no one has tackled that yet. We're tackling that. Uh, stateside, you have someone tackling that. They're called Rubicon Global. They just did a spark. Not that successful. Share price is down 80%. On <laughs> par <but>, uh, <laughs> with all the other specs. <laughs> but they, they have different problems, though, I have to say. But uh, yeah, this, we're right at the beginning, especially in Europe and stateside, you have someone who, who's, you know, they've proven the model, but we are approaching the topic uh, yeah, from bottom up. So,
0: and is there a big difference between, you know, the US market and the European market? Just from my experience as an American, you know, I was living in Berlin one time for like three months. Mm-hmm. And when I would go to take out the trash, you know, they'd have like their eight different trash cans that are labeled for where I'm supposed to put it. And I, you know, one time I put it in the wrong trash can and Ooh. I had neighbor come and yell at me. And that was like, seemed like, you know, a criminal offense almost from putting the, the wrong trash in the wrong bin. So Europe takes it very seriously. I feel like in America as a consumer, people don't really take this that seriously. Is that accurate? Do you think is the U.S. market that much different from the European market? Or am I just around, you know, bad people who are destroying the climate? <laughs>
1: I mean, first of all, if you were shouted at in German by a German, I'm sorry for that. I'm sure that was a very intense, uh, (laughs) I think even talking to a German in German, you feel like you're being shouted at. So if you're really being shouted at, I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, to answer your question, so huge differences, but not in the business world as much. The biggest difference is recycling has been around in Europe since at least sort of 80 years, commercially, at least, let's say 60 years. So we have a strong head start. The reason is we don't have the same level of natural resources you have in the States, right? So Germany, not a lot of raw materials, right? You better start reusing stuff um, versus importing. And this will become more and more of a topic now, especially in the energy crisis. But you don't have these restrictions in the States. You're blessed with, with resources. Um, so you have a need to be as frugal, let's say, as some Europeans. So it, it led, it's led to the development of two different markets. And in the States, you know, you, landfilling is the tactic that's how you you know get rid of your stuff it's it's very sad it's very bad but that's how it is right now but in the business world you know to give you your example if you can earn a million euros by separating your waste Brett I'm pretty sure you would do it and that is the situation a little bit for businesses if they take care of their resources and they separate in a good way you can bundle repackage resell uh, back onto a secondary raw material market where there is a huge demand you know, I said before, one of our customers is 2 million tons per year of paper. This is worth 60 million euros. So it's a different game. Commercial is a different game. And also stateside, big businesses, they're doing this and they will be doing this more.
0: Interesting. So it essentially, if I understand that right, you know, typically recycling would be a loss center where you're just losing money on the cost of doing it. But if you do it properly, all of a sudden it can be a new revenue stream. Is that correct? And you save the planet in the same step. So tick, tick. Wow, saving the planet and making money, win-win. Good, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what's the catch here? <laughs> the catch is you have to use resourceify. That's the catch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a fair catch. <laughs> um, and what's adoption look like right now? Are there any numbers or metrics that you're okay with sharing?
1: Yeah, we're in a good place right now. I think we have 150, 150, 150 million euros worth of waste under management committed to the platform. So we're dealing with a sizable chunk of waste. We're the fastest-growing recycling platform in Europe, potentially worldwide, but I don't have access to, to some of those other numbers. And you know, we're going to be doubling that number probably over the next 12 or 18 months. So in GMV-wise, we're we're in a good place. Take rate, you know, that's coming, but I think like in all businesses, the monetization of that, you know, this is a focus area. Let's say, but a general product adoption is in a really good place.
0: And is that how do you primarily measure your growth? Is it similar to like a wealth manager, where you have like AUM? So is it the amount of waste that you're managing? Is that the the north star metric?
1: Yeah, we call it we call it VUM, mm-hmm. WUM, W U M, waste under management. So if you join, if you come to the resorts of our headquarters and you're running around here doing some podcasting, uh, you're just going to be hearing people talking about how much WUM did we sign today, you know, and how much you know, <laughs> like oh, we want a new customer. How much WUM do they have? So yeah, waste on the management, that's, that's the North Star. It's a funny number. You, you get used to it. It's fun.
0: When you tell people you're a waste manager, do they ever misunderstand and think you're a wealth manager? <laughs> <laughs>
1: H- haven't had that problem yet.
0: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> It'll come. And It'll yeah, come. what types of companies do you typically see working with you? Does this only really make sense if you're a big enterprise with, you know, 2,000 locations? Or at what point does it become something that's either not viable to manage yourself or that just becomes such a you know big problem that it is a revenue stream that's worthwhile to pursue. Because I'm guessing there's some point, right, where if you're a small business, it doesn't generate enough to make it worth it. Is that accurate or no? Yeah, absolutely
1: right. I mean you don't need a frequent flyer number if you don't fly. So it's a bit the similar concept. You need a certain, you know, level. For us, somewhere between half a million and a million euros waste on the management per year. So if you're spending more than a million a year on recycling, then your complexity is going to be pretty high, no matter what your setup is. Many locations, or a few locations, but very big ones. We have locations where they one location, but they have 10,000 employees there. So if you're spending more than a million a year on waste management, your complexity is high, full stop. And then a solution like ours makes sense.
0: Makes sense. And then if you're just looking at the competitive landscape, are you seeing a lot of competition get funded and then what does the status quo look like in terms of you know legacy players that have been around doing this for 20 or 30 years
1: few competitions so far the biggest competition is the incumbents so the middlemen mm-hmm. uh the ones that hold those contracts right now that uh, have you know 500 people sitting there in the headquarters doing you know contract fax excel work so the big established recyclers who don't really add that much value who don't process themselves these are the ones we're out to disrupt. They're not creating value. They're even blocking recycling, right? So they've de-incentivized. They have their own incineration plants. They want to get the materials there. So this is the main competition. And uh, tech-wise, platform-wise, especially if we're going to see a downturn over the next one, two years in, in, in funding, I think early stage is going to be difficult You know, to raise significant fund uh, amounts for a pre-seed idea, that we're in a good space right now. I think we have a green one way. We have a strong product and we have good investors, good backing a lot of cash in the bank. So we're uh, I think competition wise, we're in a good place for the next one, two years.
0: And how do those legacy players perceive you? Do they just view you guys as like digital terrorists that are coming in to take away their monopoly? Or is it, <laughs> is it still early stages where you're, you're not on their radar yet, but you're going to be soon?
1: We have a good relationship with most players in the market. If you're not adding value to the customer, no matter which industry you're in, right, you're in a shit position. And I think that's just the position of many legacy players in the industry. They haven't adapted, they haven't digitized, they're not trying to create extra value to the clients. And if you're not doing that, it's your own fault, right? And I think that classifies a little bit our relationship with the with, with some players in the market where they just, they don't want to change. They have big margins and, you know, we're disrupting that, yeah, for sure. So they're not so happy, but there's a lot of smaller ones who are just clamoring to get access to big clients who have the innovative methods that they want to deploy to market. They can't do it because the monopoly is out there. So, you know, you close one door, you open 10 others. That's a bit how it is in the market right now for us. Makes sense.
0: And as you brought this idea to market, I'm guessing you're targeting you know, the early adopters who are open to new technology. Like, How are you finding those people? Because I have to imagine that some of these buyers are just very resistant to change. How do you find those who are you know, open to technology and open to experimenting with technology?
1: They've waited a long time to bring their strategies to life. I think that summarizes it. Mm-hmm. If you're a big company, or you're working in a big company and you're responsible for this topic, you want to make progress, right? You want to recycle more. You want to get more value out of your resources. You want to close the loop on your products, but you can't because there are no incentives in the market for you to do that. And you don't have any time because you're too busy, I don't know, uh, entering a hundred different weighing slips into your exploding Excel sheet. (laughs) So if you don't have to do that anymore because you don't, then you have more time as a professional you know, sustainability manager, waste manager, whoever it is. To actually start thinking about how to bring your strategy to life. So, you know, we we have a lot of great, super innovative people who nobody knows about them, right? They're hidden heroes. But if you give them the time to do what they're paid to do, then they can achieve great things uh, with our platform. We've seen recycling rates triple after our uh, platform has been integrated. We've seen companies earning millions more euros of revenue. Uh, we've seen good things happen when <laughs> professional sustainability managers have time, and that's what the solution
0: creates for them. Nice, I love it. Last couple of questions for you: What excites you most about the work you get to do every day?
1: We're creating the circular economy, and that is very exciting. There are very few places you can go and work for that are doing this because we have the scalability through the technology. So, getting up every day, and you know, we are coming up on on eighty people now, so or will be eighty people very shortly. So. You know, also my job of of realizing how do I, you know, help the team to discover what they can be doing more to create an even better circular economy. Like the leverage effect there is very exciting. And then you see the leverage effect on the class clients and the customers, and then you engage with stakeholders and you feel kind of the momentum coming into this industry and into this topic. Yeah. I kind of get up every day and think, wow, I'm creating the circular economy and with 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 the market leader in this area, at least in Europe, and I, you know, I couldn't imagine doing anything else right now. Apart from maybe being on a podcast with you, Brad, this was a work. Right?
0: <laughs> oh, my heart. <laughs> well, It has to be very fulfilling work, right? Because, you know, in the world where there's you know so many companies that are just building the next social media platform or another SMS platform or another email platform, you know, this is something that truly impacts the world and can make the world a better place. So I'm sure that has to feel very good waking up every day and diving into that work. It does. It certainly does. Yeah. And if we zoom out into the future, what's the five-year vision for the company, would you say? Reverse Amazon, ganz
1: klar, you would say in German, very clear. So we need to get there. I don't think we have all the answers how we get there, but we want to get there. And when we get there, it's going to, you know, we're going to be a big player in the future. So I don't want to give away too much now, but reverse Amazon, that's where we want to be, uh, especially in a five-year time frame.
0: I see what you're doing. You just want to come back on the podcast in a few years. So you're going to leave us on on the edge here, wondering what's next.
1: <laughs> Is it so obvious?
0: <laughs> all right, man. Well, that's all we're going to have time to cover for today. Uh, before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build, where's the best place for them to go?
1: LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Very active on LinkedIn. So
0: please, let's connect.
1: Let's exchange. If you have ideas or you know, looking for a new, a new role, want to also create this circular economy, then come and join us.
0: Amazing. Gary, thanks so much for your time here. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed this conversation and really enjoyed learning about your vision. So best of luck in executing on this.
1: Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you so much.
0: Bye-bye.